0: session
1: with Dr. Fadid Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Halaqi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310 310- uh, this Saturday, I'll be doing um, my first room, I guess they're called, on Clubhouse. I'm very unfamiliar with the app, but you maybe have heard of Clubhouse, which is uh, an, basically an app that's audio only, where people have what they call rooms, and then you can have discussions and question and answers and different things on different topics, but it has become fairly popular recently, and few people have reached out to me to do um, a room Uh, so to speak, if that's how you're supposed to even talk about it. So this Saturday at 10 a.m. Los Angeles time, I'll be doing a room. I'll put more information on my social media as I understand how to link it or get you to be able to join the room. Um, The topic is going to be LGBTQ issues, and it'll be question and answer format, Persian and English. My answers will almost all be in English, but you can... Ask questions in Persian as well. So we'll see how that goes. I'm um, looking forward to it this Saturday, 10 a.m. Los Angeles time, This Saturday, um, April 3rd. All right. Uh, speaking of dates, today is March 31st, the last day of March. And March is Women's History Month. And so um, uh, I've talked about these days and months that we have commemorating or honoring or making sure we keep in mind certain aspects or individuals uh, populations within our communities and I think they are good but also um, I think at times it's a reminder that we still have work to do in the sense that we still are having these days to promote the rights of Um, individuals because we're quite not at equality where we need to be. So I'm happy there still is a Women's History Month, but I think someday there will be less of a need for that, and that will actually be a sign of progress. Um, And I hope we will get there. Um, And another thing that came to mind when we talk about something like Women's History Month, of course, part of it is to recognize the contributions of women throughout history who have often been held back in general to do more because of oppression, but also um, oftentimes their stories haven't been told or they weren't given as much credit as they deserved because history generally was written by the men. And so their stories and their contributions were amplified. So it's important to recognize the, the history and the contributions throughout history of women that have often been underlooked or at least undermined. But I think what's also Uh, possible when we hear about women's history and people will talk about the struggles of women in history is that it can make it seem that the oppression or the inequality is also something just of the past and it doesn't exist in the present so that i think actually can be something we want to be aware of women uh, suffering or dealing with issues that are unfair and related to not having equal rights is not just an aspect of history that we have to look in the history books or search online. It's still happening all around us. And so I did want to bring attention to that as we conclude women's history month uh, is to also focus on the present of women in the world and what's going on. And, And in many countries here in the United States, yes, we, Are more advanced we still have issues here Um, but of course in many countries women are still severely oppressed even in the law in the United States it's really very hard to uh, put something in law that would discriminate on the basis of of uh, sex it still does happen Um, but in other countries it is part of the law but even in countries that might think well now we've achieved some equality we do want to be mindful and aware of what really is going on now you may be heard about the case uh, in the United Kingdom of Sarah Everard who was a 33 year old um, who was who went missing uh, and later after she was walking home leaving a friend's house and later it turned out that the main suspect who apparently as I guess they say alleged still because I don't think he has been convicted but kidnapped and murdered her um, was a a 40 some odd year old male who was actually a police officer um, in in I don't know which city exactly but he was a metropolitan police officer Um, here I'm reading it with the parliamentary and diplomatic protection unit Uh, and so a very uh, very sad Uh, situation horrific and it was a reminder there was an uproar throughout the world uh, of this from this case of what women experience as far as feeling safe in just everyday life in ways that men might not be able to relate to or understand and so of course here as a man speaking on this I know I can't understand it completely or never will know what it's actually like but I'm trying to understand met better or more and i think it's important to talk about this so we try to understand the experiences of half of our population uh, and what they experience on a daily and nightly um, uh, experience or uh, every day and night so uh, the case was bringing up issues of women feeling safe walking home going places um, sharing their own stories of harassment of course those have been killed can't speak, and others can only speak for them or remember them. But many have been killed from violence from men. Um, but the day to day, just feeling and also harassment. Some of the statistics you read are really shocking. Something like one in three women have experienced physical or sexual assault in the world. Um, and of course, these types of uh, actions or violence is usually underreported, if anything. Um, and so. Uh, I think these uh, stories are important to share because I think as men, we lose sight of this. I I remember it brought to mind some experience I had uh, probably maybe even close to 20 years ago now, 15 to 20 years ago. I remember going to a friend's house kind of later at night, and I think it was my friend Sina, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, lived in downtown at that time, and uh, I got to his place around I think it was 10 30 11 at night and I went into the elevator and there was just uh, one female in the elevator and I remember she was like checking her mail but when I walked in I could feel that she didn't feel safe it looked like I just felt like some kind of anxiety fear um, and it really hit me because in my mind I was like well I mean I know I'm not going to do anything. She has nothing to worry about. But then, of course, this is where empathy comes into play. I was thinking, well, from her perspective, she doesn't know. And there is a discomfort of being alone with a man at 11 p.m. at night in an elevator where you're kind of secluded or away from other people or help and you feel stuck. And it did hit me. I think I did feel her fear or her anxiety. I really hope I didn't do anything to make her feel anxious or afraid other than just being a man in her presence in that moment Um, but i do remember that feeling was one of the first times that it hit me that strongly of what it could possibly be like again you can never fully understand someone's experience or know what it's actually like but you can try to have a better understanding Um, and it really did hit me that for me this was such a comfortable moment i had i felt nothing to worry about but for her it could have been an anxiety provoking moment as we went up in this elevator um, until she got out the door and then maybe she felt safe and so it did make me a little more aware uh, many years ago of what it could feel like times where you don't have to worry about something as a man or don't aren't afraid but as a woman that there is a, a fear that that is there that can be ever present in a lot of ways now when we talk about these issues of how men make women feel or the violence or the aggression it's very complex type of issue one of the things that has been coming up is that often what we hear from people society things that are talked about is ways that we tell women to be safe Uh, you know don't go out late at night have some kind of pepper spray or something put your keys between your fingers in case someone You know, is coming towards you or attacking you, Uh, call someone, text someone, make sure, you know, text me when you get home. That was something that was trending online. Uh, Various things that we tell women. And a lot of people will get upset and they say, why are we telling the women how to stay safe? Why aren't we focusing more on telling the men, don't harass and hurt women? Why isn't that the focus? And at the uh, risk of coming off as insensitive uh, I do want to say I think it's important to keep both things in mind Um, I I know it can come off as saying well the victims are the ones who should do something about it and I don't think that's the case but what I do think is when we're in a certain situation we do want to help people stay safe in the best way we can even if it's unfair so let me give an example if um, a friend comes to visit you Let's say post-corona or thankfully we're getting closer to things being more open they come to visit you uh, and they're staying at a hotel and you meet for dinner and you finish dinner pretty late at night and then you ask your friend oh what are you going to do and they say well i'm going to walk home and i want to walk through this beautiful park i saw um, this morning and i think i'm going to stroll through that park as i uh, go to my hotel now let's say you know that this park is notorious for violence and drug dealing late at night and it's not a safe place to be uh, after 10 p.m. and so you might tell your friend you know that park is really nice but at nighttime it's not a safe place to be i would recommend going another way and maybe tomorrow actually we can go for a walk there in the morning or during the daytime but it's not a safe place to be at night your friend would be i think a little bit mistaken to say oh why aren't you telling the people not to rob me or hurt me there um, why do I have to be careful about that park? They would probably say, thank you for the warning. I'll go um, around. I'll go another time. So, and you could even, you know, rightfully so, no one should hurt you. You should feel safe to walk in a park late at night and not have to worry about it. And no one should rob you or hurt you. But that might be the current reality. So I'm saying that to protect you. So I think when we, when people tell women, be aware and do this, it can make sense because sadly, it still is our reality. It shouldn't be that way. It's not fair, and it's not up to women or it shouldn't be women's responsibility to protect themselves from men. It should be that men should not be hurting, assaulting, harassing, uh, putting them in any position that would hurt them. It's definitely the men's responsibility to change that, but I can understand in the moment still telling women or trying to encourage or support women in how they might be able to stay more safe in an unfair, unjust situation. Just that is the reality. But, and I do wanna make this part very clear, it is up to men to change and for us to make it very clear to men that this is not okay. That it is not appropriate to make a woman feel bad or even to harass a woman um, in any kind of a way women getting catcalled or being uh, you know yelled at or told certain things while they're walking on the street is very very common people have recorded these types of experiences to show what they might go through and there's almost this feeling from the men that do it that they have a right to or oh i'm just giving a compliment Um, isn't a compliment a good thing and these are the things that kind of drive me crazy when someone says well if you're saying something nice or saying this part of their body looks nice isn't that a compliment and aren't compliments good well these things are very complicated first of all you can cross a lot of lines by talking about certain parts of someone's body and objectifying them but even to say that because you're doing something good um that makes it okay no matter what at any time that doesn't make sense physical touch is a very human need and something that is good but only when it's with someone you like and want to touch you and to touch you in that particular way if not it's a horrible thing and a very wrong thing so to think that you can just say anything to anyone because in your mind it sounds nice uh, is definitely missing the point and missing the mark in a lot of different ways so the pressure and the responsibility should be on men to change and we have to hold each other accountable. We have to be aware that the ways that we in society talk about women, talk about men as having certain rights or they should get what they want or that women should be submissive or do what they want does contribute to this mindset that as a man, you can overpower to get what you want. And even this is something that Came to my mind, and I'll probably can uh, you know put a whole segment on this about this mindset of getting what you want, and you should get what you want, is actually a very dangerous mindset, and one we tend to have, and even promote. People will sell you, oh, if you read this book, you'll get everything you want in life, or everyone will do what you want them to do. It's a very, very bad mindset to even think that's appropriate or good or what you should strive towards. So men have so much responsibility. Of course, your own individual behavior. Of course, you should never hurt or harass anyone. But even in how you talk to your friends, what you notice in them, what you accept them saying or doing, and how you respond to that, these are all things that we should take very seriously. I think people sometimes can think, well, words don't matter or jokes don't matter. I talked a bit about this Monday and I might talk about it some more today. But these things have an effect if we keep talking about jokes where you talk about any race a certain way or talk about women in a certain way it does contribute to this mindset that you can put them down and even we sometimes do see this that when you people read articles or read jokes and it it talks about women in a certain way they're gonna act differently when it comes to supporting even women's rights or funding certain types of things so these words these things have a, a big impact and it is more on the men now I also think what happens here, I know I'm at a commercial break, but I do want to speak a few more minutes on this. Um, What I think is also happening with these situations when we tell women to protect themselves and it's not about the men, is there's this very us-them mindset about the men who are hurting women, that it's just these few select monsters that are doing these bad things and so no one else is really responsible even um this is there was another hashtag of not all men unfortunately i don't know if it was saying men were saying hey it's not all of us so don't attack us but either way i, I don't remember the exact context um but that well it's not me i'm not the one out there hurting people well first of all again you have a lot more to do to just promote and go against the sexist type of rhetoric or jokes or things that might be out there. But this mindset that it's only a few people is not the case. If it's happening to this many women this often, getting harassed, getting hurt, it's something that men are doing. So I think when we, you know, one of the things that people got upset about in, um, I think it was what was happening in England or I don't know what city or what parts was that people were saying that, you know, telling women to stay home because this might happen. So women should stay home at night. Um, which is very unfair. Why shouldn't it be? Well, men should stay home at night since they're the ones that are hurting women. But I think the reason why we don't think that way or that doesn't come to mind is because we think, well, it's just these few monsters. Why should all the men get punished for them? But it's not just a few monsters. Many men are doing this and they're doing it in different ways. Of course, not all men are murdering women, but many men are contributing to sexist jokes sexual harassment, making women feel uncomfortable, thinking it's okay to make women feel uncomfortable, and that's not okay. So we have to take this responsibility. It's not fair to blame the women for being victims of men hurting them in different ways. It's up to men to take that seriously. And so on today, the last day of Women's History Month, I did want to talk about women's present and hopefully the future for society. And we have a lot of work to do, and it will take time it will be difficult but of course it has already been worth it the progress we've made in these types of ways and i hope we will continue to do so and be vigilant of it again women being um, mistreated experiencing inequality in different ways it's not part of women's history it's part of women's present and the world's present all right let's go to a commercial break studio number 3104410555 we'll be right back back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're
2: on the air. Uh, Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for calling. Um, I have a question uh, regarding my um, teenage daughter. Mm -hmm. It's kind of concerning. Uh, We are definitely in search of a good uh, therapist. Um, She has severe anxiety. Um, Extremely, uh, she's anxious. She plans way ahead of time. She has to write everything down. Uh, everything has to happen exactly the way she plans with time. Um, and, um, her, you know, I'm, I'm a longtime listener of uh, your father. Mm-hmm. And I try to relay, you know, we're here to live. We're here to, it's great to have a good education and have a good life and job but we need to live too. Uh, It's hard to get that through her. She thrives for hundred percent in every test. She wants to be in every uh, play, um, debate club, this, that, uh, uh, advanced dance. She just has too much in her plate Mm -hmm. and um, you know, when her mom and I try to help her, that you know, you don't need to do this. Maybe next year, just worry about this other thing now. She just says, "Okay, you guys, not psychiatrist or psychologist. You don't know." And uh, it's kind of she's she's a polite kid. She's she's a good kid, um, but just I feel I'm asking for some help. Meanwhile, to mm-hmm. find a good therapist to start it and then see some result, what small measurement we can do at home to help her.
1: Sure. Yeah, let, you know, th- that seems like a tough situation for her to be that anxious. To, uh, you know, she has so much pressure she's putting on herself. Um, And I I think that's something it is good to be concerned about. I know that might sound strange because we don't want to take this lightly. Perfectionism is actually, it's one of those things people throw out there a lot. Oh, I'm a perfectionist. But when people really have perfectionism, it can be one of the most harmful characteristics we can have in our personality, if you want to call it part of the personality. Um, And so we do want to help her, but it is tough because there when we were perfectionist and the way you're describing it changing anything uh, slipping even a little bit what might feel to her like it's slipping or she's falling behind it can feel so scary that it's hard to do the things that you're mentioning to her like let's say taking it easier or not to worry about these certain things so that is tough I'm glad you're looking for a therapist because it seems likely she's going to need some of that uh, to help her out Um you mentioned she's a teenager just so I know how old is she
2: she just turned 15. 15. Okay. Uh, she's, um, she's first year high school. This past year, this um, COVID situation hasn't helped anybody yeah. at all, no matter what you do and what age you are. But, um, you know, we were based on what I've heard again from listening to your father for years. Uh, we bought her friends. We We had people over. I paid them go out movies uh have a sleepover things like that things were better this past year that being home and then you know some of the teachers um since kids are at home uh distance learning they give them extra uh homework extra project and for someone who must get 100 percent, must have the best result it's just extremely frustrating for she's up every night till midnight one and she has a zero period so she's up at six thirty a.m she has to be in zoom class at six fifty four. so she sleeps in five hours five five and a half and i'm telling her honey i'd rather you get a b and have a unhealthy body you need yeah. this for another 70 80 90 years so If you have a B one day, and she looks at me like a, am an idiot who doesn't even understand (laughs) what you're saying, (laughs) you're asking me to get B and go to bed at 11, no, I'm going to study and I'm going to double check, triple check to make sure Hmm. I will get that 100%. Yeah,
1: and so, I mean, five hours of sleep is not even enough for an adult, like a grown-up, but especially in the teenage years that kids need even more sleep so that that is concerning and now you mentioned about coronavirus and I think you said it well that it has been hard on everyone but I think it's been hard for everyone in different ways it's affected people in different ways and anxiety is one of those issues that has been impacted very severely because in different ways it's affected people one is they might have been more comfortable just being at home um, but that's not a good comfort. And for a lot of kids now when they're going back into school, it's been tough for everyone. It's an adjustment to get back into it. But what, it, unfortunately for people who are anxious, they got so comfortable and that got reinforced that it can feel even more overwhelming to go back into the um, real world and, and interacting face to face. You're saying with the uh, work and things that have been you know, put on her plate, I, I think it's also that there's less other things going on. So the only thing that matters can be grades um, for her that maybe it became even more amplified because there's not much else in life going on. And I'm not sure if you're calling from the United States. I am. Yeah. Yeah. And the U.S. um, I'm very, you know, it's something that really bothers me is how um, the college admissions process in the United States is just crazy and it's driving our kids crazy because they put so much pressure on them. I'm not sure if that's affecting your daughter, but just hearing what you're describing, I just see so many of these kids, we're turning them into robots and not even to good people, into good applicants. It's just look good on paper, um, you know, do the things. Okay, you have to be part of two groups, one musical, one sport, one this, do that, get a piece. And it's just not even contributing to creating good people which is what we hopefully are trying to to do but our educational process and this whole uh, university process is really failing our children significantly and it really upsets me because i I think it adds this undue pressure on them um that they feel that if i slip even a little bit starting even sometimes in middle school i I won't be competitive enough to go to, to one of the good universities out of high school and i think that's really really uh, a concern. So I don't know if that at all plays
2: a part in her. That, that absolutely yeah. uh, this is number one because uh, she knows where she wants to go to school. She knows what she wants to be and so that's why it makes it more yeah. um, important to she has the best grade and she has more uh, extra activities to get to the, uh, the Ivy League school she's planning to go mm-hmm. and you know I'm I'm a calm person, and I I've, I've lived here years. I I know, and I said, look, uh, I rather have a healthy, normal child rather than a, a Yale, Harvard graduate with summa cum laude, but is mm-hmm. mentally um, stressed out, cannot connect to people, have no good. Uh, friends and have no life basically. I, yeah. I this I'm asking you to pick this. Go to an average state college here in California. There are 800 of them. Rather than you push yourself so hard, but is you know that goal that and I I mentioned. I said you know I really your mom and I really appreciate uh, there are millions of people that are begging their kids to do mm-hmm. 10 minutes of homework. I'm begging you to go to bed one night, yeah. like a, we eat dinner. No more homework tonight. Just wrap it. Doesn't doesn't matter what happened tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Watch a movie with us or whatever. Yeah. So you absolutely you exactly what it is. It's just like a, a this bar set so high for even not Ivy League, even good uh, yeah. universities mm-hmm. that uh, even uh, four point one, four point two, four point three doesn't get you there so you need to be um, sacrificing your entire uh, youth those great beautiful time Mm -hmm. to maybe you get there yeah
1: it's really unfortunate and um, you know what you're describing is uh, an example of the the consequences and really the negative result of this system that's it's just hyper uh, you know it's getting worse and worse. Actually, the, there's a documentary on Netflix on that whole uh, college admission scandal that was big here couple of years ago. Um, and so I watched yeah. that recently and it was just, you know, heartbreaking. I mean, seeing what they were doing, but it creates these kinds of environments not to ex- at all exonerate the people and what they did. But a part of that was just the, the system is so broken uh, in so many different ways. Now, one thing I'll say, we're going to get to commercial break soon, and I definitely want us to, to continue to get into things a little bit more, um, is to realize, you know, the, the things you're telling her are good advice and I'm not just saying that because you said some of them you've learned from my father but they are good things to say that make sense but we have to realize at times that when we talk to someone and they're coming from an emotional place or it's more of an emotional thing and we say something in a logical place it's almost like two different languages or you might be missing each other so um, logic can help us deal with our feelings even sometimes we can talk ourselves uh, out of a situation or out of a feeling but it has to feel like first we're, we're getting us or getting if it's us we have to feel like we understand it but if it's someone else especially so um you know when she's stressing out you say you don't need to worry about it it's like you're speaking a different language you know she like you even said she looks at you in that way because it's just like you're missing it like you know she's saying i'm about to fall off this cliff and you're saying it's not a big deal fall off the cliff you know that's how it feels to her it's like she's about to die um and she's not going to so you're right to say that it's not that but what's going to be important is to show her we understand her first. And so I always tell parents that uh, and really with anyone, but especially with your kids, empathy is always gonna be the first piece of the puzzle to show them, I understand, tell me how you're feeling, what are you worried about, what are you thinking? And I'm sure she's told you because it's probably spilling out of her, but to go straight into the, you don't need to worry about this, Probably won't uh, land and get to her. So, again, it's not that the advice is bad in its logic or bad in its wisdom. It's that it's not going to land because the person isn't there. Just like if someone yells medical advice to you out of their car window, it might be the best advice, but you're probably not going to take it seriously. Whereas if you go to a doctor and know that you respect them and they know your situation, you might take that advice much more differently. So, we have to make sure we're connecting with her first. Uh, I'm sure there is a connection there, but focusing on that rather than what you might even start to create as a push and a pull, you know, all oh, my parents just want to, you know, they want to make me stop studying. So I have to do it even harder or resist them even harder. It feels like you're against each other in a way, even though at the end of the day, you probably want some of the same things, um, but it could feel like you're kind of, uh, there's a power struggle there. So this is, is a tough situation to, to help her with. And she does seem to be suffering we are at a commercial break as i mentioned but i want us to continue after the break getting a little bit deeper into what's going on and, and i'll see if i can give you some suggestions of what might be helpful thank you all right we'll be right back welcome back before the break we're with a caller let's go back to now
2: um yes hi um a couple of um Things I need to mention. Sure. Um, I'm not sure if this is related to uh, her anxiety or other um, mental processing. Uh, she is very controlling. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not only her affairs, school, homework, what she wears, that, but also the whole family, rest of us, mm-hmm. what time we have to do is kind of. Her needs and things that she needs to do, it comes first. Yeah. Um, she easily gets upset. Uh, not vicious and violent, things like that. Mostly uh, the tone is a loud and maybe a little aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, I, um, if I kind of resist a little bit, she easily cries; just goes mm-hmm. to that. And uh, she's not an actor; is mm-hmm. not. She's definitely very uh, naive, um, good kid. She's not one of these actors that you know they they cry to go get their ways. Is a genuine that feeling that she's frustrated. Yeah. Um, and um, is heartbreaking, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately these days um, your profession uh, you're extremely in demand i I made so many phone calls majority of therapists never return the call mm. it's just like they're booked and those few they do uh, they just say okay I'll put you on a waiting list and um, I don't have time and I'll, and obviously she has schooling um, other activities so it makes it a difficult that's mm-hmm. why um, I, I call to see yeah. what what simple things we can do at home to help her to calm down and make her life a bit easier. Yeah, well, what you
1: yeah what you're dealing with unfortunately isn't a simple thing. So of course we'll see what we can come up with, but it'll be important to get her um, into therapy. And and it's even possible medication. i conservative when it comes to medication, but the degree you're, you're describing her pain, uh, it could be possible that that'll be warranted, but that's to be determined. Um, Has she herself expressed that she wants to see a therapist? Yes. Okay, good. Wonderful. So that'll be important. I mean, you're right. Um, Therapists uh, are are busy. There is uh, a demand and also it's easier for them to see people in, you know, not just in their locale because of the video sessions that most people are still only doing. Uh, Same with myself. I'm only doing video sessions. So it, it does make it in some ways harder, but it could also make it easier because you can find someone not necessarily in your specific city. So I hope you'll keep looking and expanding that search because um, if you do video sessions, you know, that that can be easier to do. There's sometimes state regulations that that's a little complicated. I won't get into all of that, but still within your state, there should be no problem. Uh, But that's something to to look at. Uh, Going back to what you mentioned, you know, control and anxiety are. I- intimately related, they're, they're really part of the same thing. Anxiety comes from, in some ways, this lack of knowing what's going to happen which creates that anxiety. I don't know what's going to happen. So what we try to do to resolve our anxiety or make it less is to control the situation. If I can just control everything, then I won't have anything to worry about or fear or that bad thing or that even sometimes we don't have a clear vision of what the bad thing is, but something bad won't happen. So we try to control the situation and we do that with ourselves, we can do it with others. So it's part of uh, the anxiety or it's a response to the anxiety Unfortunately, it's uh, it can be an unhealthy coping. Even something like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, when people ha- do the compulsive behaviors, it's an it's it's to feel like they're controlling it. If I lock this door 28 times um, that bad thing won't happen if I wash my hands 15 times a day in this exact way right that's why it's so controlled even the way they'll do it that means the bad thing won't happen or I won't get sick or my health will be okay so we, we see that uh, anxiety and control are in some ways part of the same coin. Uh, I'm going to say that analogy maybe a few times in what I'll say here, but that that definitely is a big thing to be aware of. And so we have to be careful because we don't want to just take away all her control completely. But at times giving her too much control or letting her control everything might self-reinforce the anxiety in some ways. And so that's the challenge that you're going to have as parents is we don't want to just obviously not care about her anxiety and do whatever we want and let her deal with it to help her grow because that'll probably overwhelm her but we also don't want to give in too much to everything she wants either and we want it in a loving way at times make her a little uncomfortable because that'll probably be the only way she will get better over time but it has to be something that you know she has to understand and be part of it too so it's not just something you enforce on her because that'll probably lead to even more um resistance you know
2: question that uh, writing a detailed note about everything, like yeah. a step by step, simple things that maybe someone knows. Okay, uh, let's say I'm, I have to go to work. I need to do this and that. I need to make sure I get my phone and my wallet, and I have to make sure my car has gas. And uh, you know, simple things. She writes everything, yeah. and before it used to be on notepad, just like a pages and pages, and over maybe a year or two, uh, I said, okay, this is a waste of time, you, you trust your brain, you remember, and if you miss one thing, it's never going to be the end of the world, it's not like you're mm-hmm. a your brain surgeon, you forgot, you left a uh, sharp knife in somebody's head, mm-hmm. it's not, it's just like a whatever. So, she backed off from that, took a long time but now she does it on her cell phone and laptop as she does Mm -hmm. her homework whatever she needs to do that seems like one of the only things really calms her down and she's very descriptive about it to rest of us Mm -hmm. so she comes out of her room that she does homework and she explained to us that we need to be very quiet and listen what is going to happen like a in this Mm -hmm. period of time that she needs to do so she explained to us which we appreciate but yet i'm just my message is honey instead of writing it and thinking about it and talking about it and if you do it you're not wasting time and every time you get something off your list your brain cools off you don't have to think about it. You become more relaxed. You write this thing. So it's like if we have this back and forth. She mm-hmm. says, "No, you don't. Everything I say, you don't understand." And, and that's
1: the hard part. Is and and you know, you obviously you don't have to be a therapist to understand. Or even if you are a therapist, it doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. Um, but it does. It, you know, her saying that does point to the fact that you want to try to understand. Even I ask, so what do you? What? How does it make you feel to write the list? Or what do you like about the list? And let her tell you without interrupting, without telling her it's not right or it could be better. Giving her that space to tell you what it is. Because okay. she keeps saying, I don't, you don't understand. We want to take that cue, not to mean again that she's right and you're wrong and she should do it exactly as she's doing it. But first, we want to understand what's, what it's doing for her. And it is definitely related to the anxiety and related to control, you know, in a way, controlling the future. I'm going to write exactly what's going to happen because then if I know exactly what's going to happen, no bad things happen or I get everything I want to get done. Um, there's also a feeling of like a productivity in making lists. Uh, I've done it before too. When you're studying, somebody's like, okay, I'm going to study from 6 to 6.30. Then I'm going to take a 10-minute break. And people sometimes spend more time on the making the schedule than they won't even start doing the work because it, 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 they're also avoiding something by doing the schedule. So there's an avoidance there as well. But it's very much integrally related to the, uh, the anxiety. So she's trying to control everything and even control all of you. Because again, if I have control over what happens, the bad things can happen. Everything can be like what I want, which I- again, it's not good because that's not reality. And that's actually what is probably tough that she has been home. She actually has had much more control over her life than she would have at school when there's other people and things are going on and you have to, you know, uh, deal with all of that unfortunately this year probably allowed her to get even more control in on everything but to an unhealthy degree where now she's uncomfortable without control over everything and it's going to be hard for her to get more comfortable with that but living in this world we have to be comfortable with uncertainty with things being out of our control all those things which again she might even logically get but emotionally will be hard for her to tolerate uh but that i think is unfortunately one of the consequences of this last year of her being home all the time that she yeah. was able to control too much and that's made her you know that feels even better for her and so now anything out of her control even slightly is going to be tough and going into high school the stakes probably feel higher so you know even as i'm talking i can feel my own anxiety i don't know if you can feel it like there's this okay when we're talking about all this stuff it's like oh that's a lot and so that just gives us a glimpse of what she's going through times much more obviously
2: yeah um, so we want to be one of that. I need to mention sure. uh, this is for a um, few years uh, at home those controlling she's verbally very very expressive uh, emotionally she she gets upset and all of that outside a completely different individual is like mm-hmm. oh my god this is not the same person at all and i have brought that up a few times that you know uh, you do that to your teacher if your teachers while you're talking or you're saying something if your teacher says something to some other student will you very aggressively asking her quiet please listen i'm talking mm-hmm. so would you do that um or or uh, elsewhere your grandparents, your your other family member, why you do it to us, your sister, mom, and I? And her response is, I have a different expectation from you guys. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Like a, you seems like a, we supposed to uh, bow down and do what she asks. It's not as bad as I'm saying, by the way. It's not yeah. like a bow down and no. she's not a uh, uh, <laughs> slave. Uh, Uh, owner things like that but more demanding way more like a yeah that's what she said she said well i'm expecting different different expectation from you guys than other people i have no expectation from others
1: and well i mean so there's a lot of truth in what she's saying it doesn't mean she can do anything to you um but i'm sure to your wife you talk a different way than you have to some people you see at a, you know, dinner party or Absolutely. something, right? So Absolutely. some of that is uh, the, the reality that we, you know, it's true. Um, it, it's not a pleasant thing, but it does show she's more comfortable with you. So I've worked with families where sometimes there's one parent that's very mean or you know aggressive and scares the kid, and the child will actually be meaner to the other parent because they're afraid of that one that is so violent and aggressive and, and all of that. So it doesn't feel good to be the one that receives the negativity, but it actually is a sign of that comfort that that person has with you, that kid has, and they need that outlet. So... Um, but it does also tell us a few things. One is she can not do it, right? Maybe it's hard for her, but she cannot control people because she, she displays that and demonstrates that. But we can also understand that she expects more from you and her mom, as she should, not to the degree that that's happening, but that expectation is understandable. And most people are meanest to uh, the people we're closest to, not necessarily because we dislike them more, but because we're more comfortable and can be more ourselves and express things, not to justify being disrespectful, but it's that that's kind of, you know, how things go. So, you know, she's going to be that way uh, with you and, and express those feelings more. Um, and even, you know, this also relates to something else you mentioned, she easily gets upset. And that's also, I was saying, uh, you know, the two sides of the coin analogy again uh, with anxiety, because when things don't go your way, it really bothers you so much because it feels so bad. And so you do react. And so with anxiety, we often see this anger that when I can't control or things don't go the way I want, uh, I react strongly to that. So you're right. She is going to get easily Upset, And so it feels like this very delicate balance. So I can see how it puts you, you know, as her father in a tough spot because you want to take care of her, want to make her feel good. But you also see she's not doing these good things. So you want to push her away from that. But then she reacts strongly when you do that. So you probably pull back and go the other way. And it's just it must be very hard for you to navigate how to uh, deal with her in a way where you don't make her feel too bad, but you also don't want to promote or reinforce negative behaviors that she does that might hurt herself in the long term. And that's where you're trying to find that fine line of how do we do that? So, yeah. you know, that what we want to do, and, and, you know, I know you said you yourself are calm. I'm wondering as far as anxiety in the family, you or, or her mother or other family members, do you see that uh, anxiety? Yeah, we,
2: we have in our family yeah. um, OCD, distress, <laughs> anxiety in both sides my side my wife you know uh, nothing in a extreme um in maybe hospitalization or even uh, medication but in general uh we have uh, we have um, in the family yeah. people are a little bit more stressed out and they have a little bit more anxious than uh, others
1: yeah so and we know that almost every human trait but anxiety definitely has a genetic component to it so your daughter's inherited that and that's also something to recognize that a, a lot can be done in helping her but when she's going through these things uh, the feeling of blaming her can come up even though I'm sure a lot of times you're sensitive to her but there's a there could be a upset feeling of okay come on don't make this such a big deal um, but a lot of that it's hard for her to control that the analogy i use for some of these things is if you walk into a room and someone says they're cold that they can't control that that's just how their body reacts to th- that temperature now you might feel okay and they're cold but we can't say no you got to be warm so her anxious response is it's not that much in you know using that word control but it's not something she's controlling or is just choosing to be maybe that's a better way of putting it that is her reaction. Now, what we want to help her do is we can make her anxiety get worse or better. So she's probably never going to be the calmest person in the room or the calmest person overall, but she doesn't have to be. But we can work with her and have her work with herself and in her life to make the anxiety she's going to have, she's going to have it. But affect her the least amount that it can or to negatively impact her as minimally as possible. And that's what we're trying to explore. So I do want us to continue the conversation a bit more. You told me a bit about how you you and her mom, mostly from yourself, how you interact with her. Something I've noticed is a theme of coming from the logical perspective which can make sense but we do want to come from the emotional part first to connect with her but we'll explore a bit more what you and your your wife do in in dealing with her uh and what we can try to do differently going forward okay okay all right thank you sure we'll be right back welcome back before the break we were with the caller caller are you still there
2: Yes, okay. thank
1: you. So, uh, you know, I wanted to get a little bit more into the the interactions that you have, and you've shared about them throughout, um, about the typical type of things that come up between you and, and her, and also um, with her mother, how that goes between them, how you and her might agree or disagree about things, because that could be also very important in general. Um, but, yeah, go ahead.
2: She, she has, um, her mom, but definitely... Uh, takes more on her um, she allows her more to continue with um, her b- behavior mm-hmm. like uh, get more upset and things like that I, I am and I'm trying really hard and there's no doubt I have overstepped and uh, got upset and uh, maybe even said okay that's enough I don't want to hear it mm-hmm. um, occasionally but between two of us i'm trying to i definitely recognize the difficulty she has and i'm trying to help her prepare her for life and i'm telling her i said look my my job as a dad is to not only to have food and house and education that's that's given it prepare you for life and so Let's say she's telling us something about that she's planning and doing this thing that she's reading to us, or she's explaining how the her exam was and that. And mom says a word to me. Something comes to her mind a, a word, a sentence, it's quick. She gets really upset with mom that, don't you see I'm talking? And, you know, uh, I, was, I was in the middle of my uh, explanation, and she. And I stop her. I said, okay, that's not how you talk to your mom. And she said, well, but I was talking. I said, I oh, you know, I understand. Mom shouldn't have said it at that time. But no matter what, you never talk to your mom and dad like that. No matter how bad we are. No matter how aggressive we are. No, um, no matter what. Uh, so I have been trying to uh, what? control uh-huh. the situation. But between the two, they're much calmer because and the reason is my wife allows it she she tells her what to do what to do how to do it when to do it all that with me i'll do 50 60 70 percent of the time uh 20 30 40 percent of the time i say, well that's my job so with your birthday coming up let me plan it you invite whatever that was for example on this example mm-hmm. let me let me prepare everything. Let me do everything. You don't need to tell me, so are you going to do this? Are you going to make sure you pick that up? You're not going to forget this? So that's the, the the dynamic. Fortunately, my wife and I, we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. We're not fighting over it. Uh, it's not like a because you did this, this happened, because you said that, she's this way. Okay. None of that. We are completely on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife took her to her uh, primary physician. Uh, not too long ago, and then she explained, and then the, the, her doctor says, yeah, she has anxiety. You need to see uh, someone. And so she completely agreed. All three of us agree, and that's where we are. Okay. But um, as I've been trying to explain to her when small things come up, and I say, you know what? When you go to a, a, a therapist, it's not like an on and off switch. She's going to immediately fix everything for you, when I'm telling you things uh, based on my experience based on I used to do some of the things you do when I was younger when I was a teenager I used to write a list when I studied and I tell her I said when I studied I said okay, I'm going to start at 12 if it was 12.01 I would not start started study and I said okay now I'm going to study at 12.15 <laughs> so I wasted 14 minutes of my life and then and I said you know over the years overcome that, it was hard, uh, but I'm trying to tell you that. So that's the dynamic of yeah.
1: the house. Let me, one thing I didn't ask you is, are there any other kids in the home? Do you have any other children? Yes,
2: yes. She has a sister, um, six years older. Okay. Um, she's a senior in college, but uh, it's been a year that colleges are yeah. uh, at, uh, distance learning. She's home. Um, they they get along most of the time and that's only because um, the older sister uh, completely understands uh, she's getting minor in uh, psych Uh, she's very intrigued by this field Mm -hmm. Uh, and she is very helpful in overall dynamic of our uh, relationship she really is so she's like a patching between two of us between her and mom and and that. So okay. she's is a blessed to have her at home.
1: Okay, that's good. Um, now, one thing, you know, even you used the word, I'm trying to control the situation and so we have to be aware, con- you know, you're going to have your own anxiety about what's going on and that could lead to you wanting to control things too, which won't work. Now, another thing that you also mentioned is your own experience with anxiety growing up um, that you were making these lists and there was a perfectionism there that, you know, in black and white type of thinking, yeah, if I'm starting at 12, but it's 1201, I have to wait till the next hour or next, you know, 15 minute mark to, to get started. And so we also want to make sure if you went through that and you're saying, well, now I don't do it, but, but to give her that same space too, that when you were her age, you were doing similar things not to say that oh it's good keep doing it because I did it but to give her that space as far as not judging what she's doing that we can get it like you know, I did that too uh, and what could be tough for parents you know we talk about anxiety for example and that it's genetic but that it's also the home will tend to be more anxious when parents are anxious that, and that will affect the child and make them more anxious but there's another aspect which is that when we see parts of ourselves in our children parts that we don't like or didn't like whether we overcame them or not, we tend to be more reactive to those parts of them. And so we see with a lot of parents that, you know, they see, you know, they themselves have a hard time speaking up to someone or standing up for themselves. And when they see their kid do it, they get so angry, but partially they're getting angry at themselves and that part of themselves that they're seeing, in the child. So it's going to be important for you. And if if his, uh, your wife, you were saying she's also anxious to be aware that how you deal and have dealt with your own anxiety and how you feel about that aspect of yourself is going to impact how you connect to her, relate to her and deal with your daughter's anxiety. When you see it, you're going to be like, oh, come on, like, don't do that. I used to do that and I used to waste so much of my time. Some of that anger is because you realize you have that still disappointment or anger or you remember how tough that was on you and so you're bringing that into the situation. So it's something to be aware of, you know, it's not the same thing, but it reminds you When parents say, oh, when I was a teenager, you know, I started smoking cigarettes and this and this and it was so stupid. So you should never do it. Well, you know, if you went through that process, not to say we should promote smoking cigarettes or doing anything bad, we have to realize now your kid is a teenager and they're going to go through some experimenting and doing things. And, uh, you know, maybe even some of that, not necessarily. They have to use substances, but the experimenting and things they go through will be part of their development. So sometimes we want our kids to be us now as adults, but they have to go through through those things. So it's just something to be aware of that reacting to yeah. her anxiety yeah, will likely come correct. up.
2: Correct. Yeah. Well, the one um, one difference is though, and I mentioned her that um, I left country when I was a teenager, so uh, I, I lived alone, so. I didn't have a, a, a parent who was guiding me that lived in Europe before I came here, you know I was a teenager uh, so I'm just saying look uh, if if someone told me so what is twelve twelve or two um, let's let's do it let's get the homework done and we can watch a movie we can go have dinner things like that um, I don't know how i would I can tell you for fact how I would uh, respond. But most likely, if someone told me that few times, I said, well, let's see what happens. I'm just saying that I've, I've done that. I've written the list. But I, when I wrote the list was when, I, when we had 20, 30, 40 people guests, and I had to shop and we had to cook, we had to prepare, we had to... that. So that's the time I wrote the list. Um, and to date, I do. You know, when I go, like when we have grocery shopping list, that I don't want to forget important things we need. But uh, not the simple thing that you. So my message is, if you trust your brain, if you 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 young, uh, it will come. It will help you. Well, Spend possibly. Energy.
1: But you know, making lists. Actually, there's some people that'll say. It's good to make lists because then you don't have to keep rehearsing it in your mind. The, the the degree she's doing it, I don't think is going to be good for her. But trusting your brain alone. I mean, you know, I have my calendar of when I'm seeing my clients in my phone. I don't trust my brain to just remember all of them because that wouldn't be a good idea. So it's not a black and white thing to just say trust your brain, and what, well, no,
2: these are. I'm talking about simple things, it's like a. But simple a is a. Uh,
1: you know, this is. You're, you're making the judgment of what's simple, and I do want you to be aware of what I'm hearing. There's a lot of judgment of. Well, if I made lists, they were made sense, or I would have dealt with the better. You're doing it wrong. So there's a lot of judgment that you're putting on what she's doing. That she's doing it wrong. She should do it better. Maybe I made lists, but I had more. I had more real anxiety to deal with than you have. You know, there's a. You know, she could also say, "Yeah, well, when you were trying to get into college, it was way easier 30 years ago than it is now," which would be very true. So, sure. um, you know, we have to be aware that we don't just judge her situation. Of my anxiety made sense. Yours is irrational. You know, your anxiety was and still is irrational if we're using that kind of, you know, description of it. I'm sure there's things you could look at, like, oh, yeah, I worry too much about this that someone might recognize. And just saying that won't make you stop worrying about it. Um, And so we want to be aware of not like I was saying coming at her in a judgmental way of like why do you worry you don't need to worry again like I said that analogy I think in our first segment that to her it feels like at times she's standing on the edge of a cliff and you're saying don't worry just take that step and walk off now it's not that but that's how it feels and we have to meet her where she is you know you have to meet her at that edge of the cliff to really be able to connect with her and that'll allow you to actually your advice to land a little bit more if she feels like my dad really gets What I'm going through, my dad understands, makes me feel like it's okay. You know, imagine what she's going through. It doesn't feel good. And I know you know that, but it's not good what she's going through. And that's why you want to, you know, I I get it. You're trying to pull her away or trying to get her to see. It's not a cliff. Look, it's so safe where you are. You're okay. Uh, So I get where you're coming from completely. It's from a place of love and wanting to help her. But the first step is likely going to be going more towards where she is rather than just trying to pull her out. So she's in this dark cave. Um, that's very sad and doesn't feel good. And I get it, you're trying to pull her out so you have your feet in the light and just say, no, come on, come on. And she's going to pull more the other way. You're going to have to walk in and sit next to her in the cave for a while. And <clears throat> to think about that when you interact with her, which is tough because, you know, you see her suffering, and you know she's saying, "I'm in pain," and of course, you're gonna wanna say, "Let me get you out of that pain," or "You don't need to be in that pain." That's what's so hard because you're like, "You don't need to worry about these things the way you are," but unfortunately and sadly, that's where she's at. So, um, you know, having those conversations. Where first, always, you know, empathy first, make that your first, okay. you know, and even for some time, because I, you know, sometimes when I work with parents, I say, I tell my kid, oh, I know you're sad, but, and then they go quickly into the advice and the other things. <laughs> so, you know, stay with her for, a while. oh, yeah, you're probably so nervous, you know, what? tell me what, what's happening, okay, this and this, how is that going, and you just stay with her a little bit, you know, and, and then see, and, and and I would also uh, you know, I'll say it myself. But I would suggest them as suggestions. You know, so bring them up as kind of like, you know, what do you think about this? And let her tell you. She might even probably say, okay. "I'm sure." Sometimes she'll probably tell you, know what? I know you're right, Dad, but it's so hard for me to to think that it's okay, you know, or think I'm going to be okay." And she then,
2: absolutely does that. Yeah. I mean, lately, ever since her doctor said that, you know, what you have, you have anxiety and it's easily corrected. So you go see it, uh, find a good therapist, and then you go there, and they will help you. No, she uh when we have some discussion and again sometimes when uh when she's very aggressive mm-hmm. and i just say okay no that's enough no more stop so um uh, and, and that and i does, think that's important by the that, way that, you know yeah I, uh, I, this is not my fault it's like i have mm-hmm. this in here i say i understand but that shouldn't be an excuse you talk to your mom and dad that way. That, yeah, and that, that's
1: good. That, those boundaries are going to be very important. So we can be understanding, and, and again, empathy doesn't mean – saying yes to everything so you know you can have a kid and says you know your small child's like oh I want to go play outside but it's 10 o'clock at night and you're like you know I know you want to play I know how fun it is but I can't let you go right now because it's not safe maybe we can play tomorrow so you can always say yes to the feeling but no to the request or the behavior so you can tell her I I get it that you're anxious and that makes sense we've talked about that but there's still ways that you know it's not okay and I would also say not just for her to talk to you that way but for anyone in the family you know you guys can't disrespect her either that shouldn't be part of the family culture, no matter who's talking to whom, that we can disrespect. So I would also, I think it's important to present that, that it's not that you can't disrespect us, but we could. Not that I'm saying you would suggest that. Um, But that's just not the way, We're you know, I get that you're anxious. And you can even say, you know, maybe you need A few minutes to calm down and then we could talk about it. But I I can't let you uh, or accept for you to talk to me in that way that's disrespectful. That's not going to be okay in our family. So that, I think, is important. It's not to just say, okay, you're anxious, Uh, you can do anything. And so even letting her know you are anxious and that's why we want to help you and it's going to be up to you and we're going to be your support to how to deal with this issue that you're dealing with. You know, For yourself first to to be in the less amount of pain and stress, but also it's just going to be better for everyone. So um, it's a challenging situation. It's definitely going to require some professional help, which I know you're looking. I hope you'll keep looking. And as I said, you can expand your search because uh, right now most therapists are still doing video sessions only. So even if it's in your city, it won't make a difference. So you might as well get her to see someone. And I would consider a psychiatrist. I, I don't like medication for just any age and get started with that but the degree we're talking about does seem pretty severe so it's something to be aware of and and the mindset i usually like to tell parents rather than saying you need therapy or you need medication it's about you deserve therapy you deserve help because you're in pain um sure. i try to keep that in mind.
2: so uh, when we see um we start saying um Psychi- psychologist mm-hmm. uh, will, she, will she determine if we need to go see a psychiatrist
1: they usually or? they'll make a yeah they can make that recommendation or referral or you know you could even bring it up to them but they'll kind of based on seeing your daughter get an idea and and they tend to make a referral if they see that it's necessary that's something that that i do as well so that's probably what they will do um okay. but I, I would yeah i hope you can keep looking and finding someone you mentioned she a few times so i get the sense that your daughter wants a female therapist and what's most important for yeah. anyone is that they feel comfortable with the therapist so if she wants a female therapist i would completely yeah, honor and respect what she that requested. yeah she yeah
2: that's that her condition. Sure. And well, we said, okay, doesn't matter? Yeah.
1: There's many great uh psychologists therapists that I'm sure you can find and I hope you find one that will help her.
2: Uh thank you so much. Yeah. Really appreciate your time given me and uh I'm sure um in this um era of um difficult time with COVID and uh many negative effects in families mm-hmm. I hope our conversation uh helped other family that um have been in the same situation and um they they're trying to do the best that yeah. they can um so uh really appreciate sure, it
1: sure i appreciate your kind words and also you know your kind thoughts of hoping that others will find it helpful a lot of families are struggling in different ways but i think people can relate to your story I, i'm sure many people out there can but i appreciate yeah. your time and calling and wish you all the best
2: thank you you haven't an- Nice, uh, nice day. Thank you, you two. Take care.
1: Bye. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
0: Taking my call. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I have a question. I have a newborn, actually, so she may cry. So you might oh, just okay. mention my question, and then I'll listen from the radio. But um, my question is that my three-year-old, now that I have a newborn, um, she's kind of acting out as far as, um, like, becoming a little bit more aggressive. She never used to be aggressive. And now, um, like, when she's with me, she'll maybe out of nowhere just kind of punch my arm. Or when I'm with, like, the newborn and, like, feeding her, she'll come around and be very loving. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like kind of pressed her arm a little bit harder than normal, or maybe like just kind of um, pin- pinch her or, you know, yeah. like a little bit of, a little bit more aggressive, like behavior than normal yeah. than she used to have.
1: Sure. How, how old is the newborn?
0: She is a month now.
1: Okay. Oh, so I mean, brand, brand new. Yeah. I mean, brand yeah. new. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk about your baby. Like it's a car, but um, brand new is, so and it's a brand new situation is what I really meant. Um, and so, this is very much expected. And sometimes it's strange to talk about something like aggression as expected or almost normal. But to a degree it is. And you're right. I can hear the baby, and that's very cute uh, to hear to hear uh, your your baby. um. But so, you know, we, we should expect that this is going to happen and we'll continue to be part of, you know, the experience. And your your three-year-old is probably having some mixed feelings. Even I don't think the loving is just to get closer to do something bad. There probably is some loving feelings, but it's a mixed feeling, kind of a, a love-hate mm-hmm. at this point because... Um, This baby is taking up a lot of your time and even before the baby came, you were probably slowing down now I don't know if your three-year-old understood that, but the time around your baby coming, usually there's a lot of stress and a lot happening. Parents are more tired, so you're going to have less energy. So it is going to have an impact on her that we want to understand. Now of course we protect the baby and we don't want to say that anything your three-year-old does is okay. We can even let her know it seems like you're upset or you're angry. Talk to her about her feelings. But what is really important is I hope for you and and for your husband not to um, be worried about this, that, okay, you're saying she's more aggressive than before. That's expected. Uh, And even at the age of three, um, sometimes they get more aggressive in general, even if there wasn't another baby there. So I, I haven't I wouldn't be concerned about that. Uh, I know it can not feel good when, you know, you see your your little girl doing that when she didn't before. And when they're aggressive to us, even if we understand it, it still doesn't feel good. You're a human being. You don't like that feeling from your daughter to, to do that. So I can understand it's not a pleasant part of this experience, but one that um, we would expect and and we want to treat it that way that we expected so we don't overreact or to make your daughter feel bad because she's having these big feelings that she still doesn't know what, what to do with or how to handle Mm -hmm. them. You know, she doesn't really understand it. And what can also happen, I know it's the baby is just a month old, but when parents have a second child, the older child, because they're older than like the baby or older than this younger one, what, however, what age we're talking about, they can almost put too much pressure. Like, well, you're grown up, you know, when they're not, your three year old is three and and very little and dealing with so much. So she's still a baby essentially herself Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And so we want to give her, that space and realize imagine how tough it is to deal with having all your mommy and daddy's time and now mommy is dealing with a lot and not as available and probably daddy too and it's just uh it's it's tough so it'll be an adjustment but um from what you described not too alarming i don't know if there's anything else that you're concerned about or if you have a question of how to deal with any aspect of it
0: so um no that was just my that was just my concern so it's a normal thing i i I figured that yeah i just didn't know kind of how to Is there anything that we can do to kind of lessen that? Because I feel like we're putting a lot of attention on her. Thankfully, the newborn is like pretty calm Mm -hmm. and just wakes up to eat and and that's pretty much it. Um, And we can spend a lot of time with the Mm toddler. So I feel like we're giving her a lot of attention, but I know it's like less than than before. Is there anything that we can do to kind of lessen that that confusion for her?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's good that you're putting that effort to spend time. And it's just that there's such a change. You know, change always makes us... um, a little anxious and not feel good and so this is a huge change in the whole family dynamic and even you probably don't even realize ways that you probably act different having a newborn you know in how you play mm-hmm. and you do certain things and even giving birth is a whole process i'm sure for a while you were slowed down and and, and affected you in different ways that she felt it just you know a child feels this uneasiness like mom they don't really verbalize it or they can't verbalize it but like mom feels different you know and that doesn't feel good so um we should expect that. But, we you know, we want to show her love. When she gets aggressive, you know, we can help her try to calm down. So we don't want to judge her too much or make her feel really bad. We don't want to say it's okay, let's say, to hit the baby at all. And, of course, first and mm-hmm. foremost, protect the baby and all that. But, you know, helping her calm down, talking uh, soft to her, gently, even slowly starting to teach things like breathing techniques. I think for parents or when adults hear this, they think, okay, kids can't learn this stuff. There was this very sweet video of a six-year-old brother and his four-year-old brother and the four-year-old was about to have a tantrum and the six-year-old was telling him you know just breathe and was helping him breathe and the four-year-old calmed down it was it's a very beautiful uh video i don't know if you've seen it but uh, very very sweet but you know this is with the four-year-old boy and in the moment he was able to teach him to try to use his breathing to calm himself down so you know we could we could show her these things not in a way of punishing her or telling her her anger is bad or she's bad but to help her feel more calm and so Oh, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like, oh, you got angry or you had energy, okay. like you
0: know. Okay, is there so, any books that you would recommend or anything like that?
1: Um, I'm trying to think on this issue. Hmm. You know, nothing comes to mind. I, I would have to think about that. And if I do think I'll even, maybe I'll mention it by the end of the show or post it. But nothing comes to mind specifically about Hello? that. Can you hear me okay? We're getting some static. I don't know if you can hear me. Hello? Hello?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened.
1: I don't know what happened. We're getting a little bit of static. I'm not sure. Um, what that is from, anyway, but I hope you can hear me. But no specific book comes to my mind on this um, issue. I like some of Daniel Siegel's work on dealing with emotions with your kids, like a uh, whole brain child, parenting mm-hmm. from the inside out. I don't know if you've read any of those yeah, books. Yeah, I have
0: that book. I've read some of it.
1: Okay, yeah, uh, maybe something that, that can be good because, you know, seeing your daughter act out in these ways is going to bring up a lot of feelings and feelings from your own childhood even that we might not be aware of so it -hmm. could be something to um, get in touch with to help in how we respond to her in ways that helps her and at three she emotion regulation is tough and it's going to be hard because i'm sure she still tantrums if she you know um, even before without the kid those are things we expect so with a newborn it might exacerbate accelerate some of those types of things Um, but you know it's pretty normal part of development that uh, I, I can get that you're just trying to minimize mm-hmm. the negative impact, which is good, but we, we should expect that this will likely continue for some time, and over time we will we'll help you know the older one get more used to it, adjust to it, but making sure she feels good about herself and that we love her and that there's nothing wrong or bad about her to feel this way.
0: Okay. So we should acknowledge that she has not the, uh, not the aggression, but just acknowledge that maybe should we talk to her about her confusion or – um,
2: you like know, you
0: said, just give her techniques to kind of overcome that emotion.
1: Yeah, the technique. I mean, you know, in general, talking to kids about their feelings. Of course, we can't know, but we can kind of get it. Oh, it seems like you're feeling angry, or feels like oh, you have a lot of energy, or something. Um, you know, talking to them it can be helpful in teaching them about their feelings, teaching them about regulation. So you say, oh, you got so angry. What can we do? And you know, like you play with them. So it's or acknowledging their feeling and trying to get them to. Recognize, we're not saying they're bad or we're mad at them for having that feeling, but to help them, you know, deal with that. So you can okay. verbalize with it, but in a very non-judgmental type of a tone at times um, mm-hmm. about what's going on, and you know, just being aware that it's going to be a challenge for all of. I'm sure for both you and the dad, it's also been a lot of challenges to deal with. But for this three-year-old, she's like, "What? What's going on here?" You know, it's it's a lot, and so that dysregulation leads to lots of acting out or different behaviors. You know, sometimes they want the parent's behavior uh, attention, but they act out in a way that actually makes you not want to be around her as much, unfortunately. And so it can almost Mm -hmm. backfire, sadly, that anxiety becomes self-fulfilling. So we want to be aware that it's probably just got her all you know riled up in different ways so it might show up you might see changes in her behavior things you know sometimes kids who've been potty trained might regress different types of things can happen so we want to acknowledge them and be aware of so we don't ignore them but not be too alarmed that this is something really bad going on these are things we we tend to expect
0: okay okay well thank you so much
1: sure thanks for your call good luck
0: thank you so much
1: take care Bye bye. Um, appreciate the, the call because, um, you know, being a parent, I always talk about it's probably the hardest job or role or responsibility anyone will have in their life. And then having a second child, having multiple children, it just multiplies that in a way. It, it maybe exponentially affects that to try to balance showing love two more than one child as they get older trying to make sure the comparison does not become too big of an issue it's almost inevitable that comparison happens you know we we try to minimize that but it's natural that we see the person in our home and we're both kids and you're going to have that that um, type of comparison come up naturally how to deal with different children you know one child is more this way one is that way how do you make them both feel loved so it's a lot lot of challenges but especially having a newborn and having uh, a young child very very difficult experience i think um when i was born at first my brother was a little bit uh is about similar actually age difference in this family he was about three years old when i was born And so i think at the beginning he was a little bit excited it seemed like something new but after a while when he saw i cry a lot and don't play and (laughs) i think he thought he was gonna have a playmate um i cry and don't really do much and take a lot of attention i think he he asked if they can take me back to the hospital so um he was (laughs) wondering if they still had the receipt to see if they could return me um to 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 not have me there anymore so and now he's probably my best friend so uh things can still work out even if at the beginning it always will be challenging just some things to keep in mind but thank you to that caller do wish him the best it was so sweet to hear the baby Uh, probably my favorite caller of the year so far all right let's go to a commercial break we'll be right back So to conclude the show, today is March 31st. And at the start of the show, I was mentioning it's the last day of Women's History Month. Um, But also being the last day of March, tomorrow is April Fool's Day, which uh, here in the United States, I'm sure in other countries around the world, people um, trick each other, prank each other, make jokes, be ready that people will probably put some posts tomorrow that things that are not true, that they're pregnant, they got married, something happened. um, But it'll just be part of the April Fool's, meaning that it's a joke. It didn't actually happen. And so I don't mean to be a killjoy. um, When I talk about this, I, I shared this on Monday's show when I talked about the book Humor Seriously, that talked about the importance of laughter and levity when We're living life in general, but also when it comes to our work, relationships, Uh, so I I very much agree with that, that we should actually take humor seriously, as the title implies, that it's important to have it be a part of our lives, part of our work lives, and just how we approach uh, life in general. Uh, But at the same time, I do think it doesn't mean that just because it's a joke or anything that we do in the spirit or in the attempt to make people laugh or make life lighter is okay and that when we make a joke or we try to be funny, there is some risk, so we can acknowledge that, and we do put ourselves out there a bit when we try to be humorous, uh, but it doesn't mean that because we took that risk, everything we do is okay. So I talked about this a bit on Monday show, so I won't get into too much about the pranks, but you will online see people post videos of these pranks, often they're staged and I'm glad that they're staged at times because it means people aren't doing these things to unwitting people or people who are not aware of what's going on. But people will do these horrible things to people, trick them, physically hurt them, uh, you know, throw water on them, do a whole bunch of other things uh, just to get laughs, just to get likes and subscribes and try to get attention and make money for themselves. And I think that's horrible and very, very sad to see. Oftentimes when I see these videos, it really makes me upset. Even worse, sometimes people put videos where they uh, prank their kids in different ways. I've seen people with their babies and they put a weird filter on their face where there was one I saw where like, the person's face, it turns into a horse that keeps kind of expanding. And then the baby started crying, you know, terrified of what they were seeing on the screen that their mom or dad's face, I think it was the mom's face was changing and they post this and people think it's funny and you look at the comments and people are saying, oh, that's me as a parent or this is funny and oh, if people think this is abuse, you're being sensitive and there's snowflakes and all these things and and I think absolutely it's a horrible thing to do to to try to make your child get scared for you to laugh is so inappropriate and not okay and, and just selfish and coming from a bad place, coming from a place in my opinion that you're trying to uh, overpower or when you see you have this power over someone that you could take advantage of that just for your own humor or enjoyment so kind of a form of exploitation that we do and people often do this when they have uh, a child or are dealing with children sometimes we like to use our own fear or things we've been afraid of make them feel afraid to kind of feel better about that to, to get power over that situation i think that's really not okay at all so I, I'm not saying we shouldn't do pranks. Actually, in the book humor, seriously, there was a lot of these stories where people did little workplace pranks and things. Um, but it, you know how it's done, and the spirit of it is important. But it, it can lead to camaraderie and people being closer. So I'm not saying don't do anything, but just to be aware that because it's April Fools' or just because you're making a prank video doesn't mean you can do anything. And, and to have that empathy for the person that you are tricking, pranking, who whatever it is that. What are they going to feel? What's their response going to be like? Uh, I shared on Monday's show about how sometimes people even have gotten traumatized from pranks, from getting kidnapped, pretend kidnapped, or other types of things that people have done. You can actually get traumatized because the pe- person going through it thinks it's real. And so their brain body is going to respond as if it's real. And that can have real circumstances. Um, and also that. There is this sense that if we have emotional pain, that's not real pain or emotional hurts are not real pain. Oftentimes in comments on these types of videos, people say, oh, calm down. No one got hurt when people say it was not good or not. Okay. As if because no one was physically hurt, n- nothing wrong was done. No harm was done. But emotional pain is very, very real, is equally real to physical pain and physical hurt. And we should not forget that. So. That being said, have fun tomorrow. Uh, I know it might be uh, sounding like I'm saying don't do anything, but I just think like anything, we want to be mindful of what we're doing. We want to think about our intention and think about uh, what we uh, might end up doing to that person that we we joke with or trick. Now, related to that, when it comes to jokes in general, there tends to be meaning to our jokes. And here's where a psychologist or an analyst might really... Uh, be annoying where you might tell a joke for 10 seconds and then they'll analyze it for an hour of why you said that, what did you mean by it, what was the unconscious thing you were trying to get across or whatever it might be. And so I do think some jokes, they don't have necessarily... A deep meaning always or someone is expressing something or something unconscious was coming out very seriously so it's not that it's always something dark and negative it usually isn't and sometimes it's not even dark at all even if it is unconscious and sometimes a joke can be a joke just like as i think freud famously said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar but oftentimes there is something to the jokes that we say there is either something we're expressing about ourselves something we're expressing about the person that the joke is about or to in our relationship with them, uh, something could be there. And it's important to look at that. So again, I, I'm actually someone who makes a lot of jokes. I, I like to have fun and, and and be a fun person. I know maybe what I'm saying now might not make it come off that way, but I like to have fun, be silly, enjoy things. But I do think we have to always look at the intention and, and what's going on with what we're doing. And we also want to be aware of how the person we're joking about or who the joke is on, how they feel, and that we should take seriously. So, you know, I'll work with couples and sometimes they'll tease each other, and that's great. You need to have that kind of playful teasing and fun. But sometimes they'll make jokes about each other that are hurtful, and the person will repeatedly say, that joke hurts my feelings. And the person says, well, it's a joke. So you're just being sensitive. And I think that's really horrible. If you're hurting your partner, if they're hurt by something you're saying, you should take that seriously and be aware of that. And also you have to ask yourself if I'm saying this joke, first of all, what am I, why am I saying this type of a joke? Especially if it's about something about your husband or wife that you keep saying. Um, and if they're telling me it's hurting me and I keep saying it, why might that be the case? very often it's because you actually are trying to express anger, put them down hurt them, make them feel the way they might have made you feel in some way Uh, but you're doing it in the safety or the disguise of a joke which makes it seem like it's okay, they can't get mad at you so you're allowed to express your anger in this way Um, that's not okay at all, you're trying to make your partner feel bad because of something else but you're trying to use the joke as your disguise or a way to make it seem okay, It, it could also be because you're afraid to tell your partner something. At times we'll be in a relationship and because of their anger, how they might react, it might feel like the safest way to express something is through a joke. I've even You'll even see this in families. It could be part of why teenagers tend to make fun of their, their parents for a lot of reasons. One is in their teenage years, they're getting to that point where, okay, I'm not you and I care more about my peers than I care about you. Um, we start to find the differences between us and our parents. Our parents are the ultimate authority in our own personal lives, and there is this rebellion against authority to try to question things and understand who we are and who we want to be. Uh, And so very often you'll see teenagers making fun of their parents. Classically, you'll see teenagers uh, uh, of immigrants making fun of their parents' accents, right? We've all done that. I've done that too, I have to say. I can't say I haven't done that, or maybe even I'll still do it sometimes, teasing your parents, oh, you know, how they say certain words in English, for example, um, and making fun of them. And so oftentimes that could have a lot of purposes, but one of them can be a way to try to balance things. Your parents have more power, or you might be afraid of them, or they have some of the control, but through humor, you might find a way in a veiled way to get some of that anger out. So very often humor, especially sarcasm, sarcasm has a lot of anger in In it most of the time, you know, even think of the way you say, oh, yeah, great job. Right. There's an anger there when someone says something like that. So very often we'll see that humor can be this way of expressing things. So um, I think from friends, I remember Chandler saying. He makes some joke when he meets someone. He says, oh, I I use humor as a defense mechanism or something like that. And most of the time, or or most of us at some time will use humor in this way, but it's something to be aware of. Am I someone that regularly uses humor as some kind of a defense, either to ease tension or anxiety or to express feelings because I don't feel comfortable expressing them in other ways. So it could be something about the person, but it could be something about us. Some people will never want to, offend someone or say they don't like something because they're avoiding conflict, but they say it through a joke and in that way they think, well, it's okay because it's a joke or it might be their way of getting that feeling or that point across without saying it in some way that they might feel uncomfortable about. So you want to look at your jokes and and pay attention to why do I make the types of jokes that I do? Oftentimes you might realize it's revealing something about yourself. If you keep making jokes about certain people, maybe you make fun of certain types of people. It actually could be because you're jealous or envious of those people and it's a way of putting them down. Oh, look at those so-and-sos or look at those people, Um, you know, they're so this way. And so if you notice you keep making jokes about a certain group of people, you might Tell yourself, oh, no, it's because they really are bad or stupid in this way. And it could be that, but it could also be they're bringing up some insecurity for you. If you're insulting wealthy people or attractive people or smart people or whatever it might be, there could be some reason why you are doing that. And so I mentioned people, and lastly, I do want to talk about the jokes we make about certain groups of people, things like racist jokes or sexist jokes, uh, things like that, which, you know, lately you can get in more trouble than you used to for them and do people cross the line sometimes by saying that you can't say anything about race or joke anything about race or sexism or anything like that they probably do cross the line i'm sure that does happen but it doesn't mean there's not something to the concern because when we make jokes about certain people it's not just that they are jokes it usually reflects some type of thinking about that group some way of dehumanizing or looking down on them. Persian culture is notorious for this. People make fun of people in different groups of, you know, parts of Iran, different, you know, backgrounds. Um, I'm never been to Iran, but there's things I know about different regions of Iran from the stereotypes, or I should say I don't know about the people, but I know the stereotypes exist that people are you know from shiraz for example are lazy and so my father is definitely not a lazy person but i know that that's something that i've, I've heard before uh or different things and i don't want to even say them because i'm not sure if i know them all accurately and by accurate i mean that that's the norm not that it actually reflects those people um, but when we think these are just harmless jokes we have to be aware of how these things impact things for example you know very obvious one torques are the jokes are usually that they're not smart, that they're stupid. And to think these are just jokes, okay, it's a joke, but what do you think if you've only heard this type of joke about a certain group of people and now you're going to interact with them in an intellectual way, you don't think that's going to have an impact? If you're someone who's trying to pick someone for a job or pick someone, a student, and you know that they come from a group that you've only heard that they're not smart, what what impact do you think that's going to have? And then here in the United States, we see that, oh, it's just a racist joke, or we're saying this, or shouldn't we be able to have fun about these things? And sometimes humor can bring about truths, and this is actually where it does get delicate. Sometimes you can make a joke And you do it in some type of way that's so exaggerated or brings up a point where you're actually pointing to how the racism is stupid or how the sexism is stupid that can be very good so it's a joke about sex or race but it's done in a way that might actually uh you know illustrate or illuminate something that's a bad thing to make you realize like how stupid is it that we think this way or we act in this way but when we make racist jokes that perpetuate reinforced stereotypes that are harmful it definitely has an effect of how we look at people, how we value people, and the ways that we uh, unconsciously will judge them. If I tell you there's a group of people from bloop and the bloops are so dumb and immoral and oh they're so this and that and now you finally meet someone i made up a place and they're from that place of course you're going to already assume some things about them this is how prejudice and stereotypes uh get created and formed and reinforced is by the norms and the ways that we talk about people and jokes can be a big part of that and so i think we want to be very mindful of the jokes that we say It doesn't mean we can't joke about anything. It doesn't mean you should never say a joke, but to be aware and think about the impact of what you're saying. Could it have a negative impact? And to me, if it does, it's something to take very seriously. Uh, Taking humor seriously in this way as well, that we don't want to just, of course, think it's good to make it a part of our lives, but it doesn't mean everything is okay and we should never evaluate what we're saying. I won't get into the piece uh, about... The art side of things, and how even I think comedians need to be aware of what they joke about. I know sometimes people say, Well, it's art, and we have to, you know, we can't have art be censored. And I think there's definitely truth to that to be aware of. But it doesn't mean that an artist has to have no uh, responsibility or, or think about how their art is influencing people. If I make a song that's all about hate, and killing certain groups of people, let's say, and then people listen to that music and might do something, I can't say, well, it doesn't matter, I just made the song, I'm an artist. I think it is something to be uh, thoughtful of, but I'll I'll leave that point just there for now. But coming back to this issue, sometimes people say, oh, come on, it's just a joke, and I wanna joke this way. Well, I think if the only way you can joke is by hurting people, by talking about racist or sexist things, or putting people down, then you're not very funny. Because if you're funny, you should be able to find humor and make jokes and make light of situations that don't have to be at anyone's expense. To me, that's the cheapest form of humor is to put someone down, put some group down, just say some stereotype and put it into a joke. So if that's the case, then you should be open with yourself and realize maybe I'm not that funny and maybe I shouldn't make those jokes. And if you are funny, you'll be able to find things to make light of that doesn't have to be at someone's expense. Our enjoyment should never be at the cost of someone else, whether it's in a joke, whether it's in how we live our lives and whether how we treat them. We don't need those things to have an enjoyable life and we don't need those things to laugh. We can find other things to laugh about. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers. Thank you to Ghazali here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui. Have a wonderful day.